evening. I hope you've had a great day today. Welcome to BVJ's Bedtimes. My name is Big Voice Jay, and this is a show where we get you ready for a good night's sleep with public domain short stories that you've all heard before, but you haven't heard in a good long while. Links to, links to tonight's stories found at the way. Links to tonight's stories are in the show notes at bedtimewithbvj.com. Tonight's story? The Model Millionaire by Oscar Wilde. A Note of Admiration Unless one is wealthy, there is no use in being a charming fellow. Romance is the privilege of the rich, not the profession of the unemployed. The poor should be practical and prosaic. It is better to have a permanent income than to be fascinating. These are the great truths of modern life, which Huey Erskine never realized. Poor Huey. Intellectually, we must admit, he was not of much importance. He never said a brilliant or even an ill-natured thing in his life. But then he was wonderfully good-looking, with his crisp brown hair, his clean-cut profile, and his gray eyes. He was as popular with men as he was with women, and he had every accomplishment except that of making money. His father had bequeathed him his cavalry sword and the history of the Peninsular War in fifteen volumes. Huey hung the first over his looking-glass, put the second on a shelf between Ruff's Guide and Bailey's Magazine, and lived on two hundred a year that an old aunt allowed him. He had tried everything. He'd gone on the stock exchange for six months. But what was a butterfly to do among bulls and bears? He had been a tea merchant for a little longer, but had soon tired of Pico and Souchong. Then he had tried selling dry sherry. That did not answer. The sherry was a little too dry. Ultimately, he became nothing. A delightful intellectual among men with the perfect profile and no profession. To make matters worse, he was in love. He was in love. The girl he loved was Laura Merton, the daughter of a retired colonel who had lost his temper and his digestion in India and had never found either of them again. Laura adored him and he was ready to kiss her shoestrings. They were the handsomest couple in London and had not a penny piece between them. The colonel was very fond of Huey but would not hear of any engagement. Come to me, my boy, when you've got ten thousand pounds of your own, and we will see about it, he used to say, and Huey looked very glum on those days and had to go to Laura for consolation. One morning, as he was on his way to Holland Park, where the Mertons lived, he dropped in to see a great friend of his, Alan Trevor. Trevor was a painter. Indeed, few people escape that nowadays, but he was also an artist, and artists are rather rare. Personally, he was a strange, rough fellow with a freckled face and a red, ragged beard. However, when he took up the brush, he was a real master, and his pictures were eagerly sought after. He had been very much attracted by Huey at first. It must be acknowledged entirely on account of his personal charm. The only people a painter should know, he used to say, are... People who are bit and beautiful. 
people who are an artistic pleasure to look at and an intellectual repose to talk to. Men who are dandies and women who are darlings rule the world, at least they should do so. However, after he got to know Huey better, he liked him quite as much for his bright, buoyant spirits and his genuine reckless nature, and had given him the permanent entree to his studio. When Huey came in, he found Trevor putting the finishing touches to a wonderful life-size picture of a beggar man. The beggar himself was standing on a raised platform in the corner of the studio. He was a wizened old man with a face like wrinkled parchment and a most piteous expression. Over his shoulders was flung a coarse brown cloak, all tears and tatters. His thick boots were patched and cobbled, and with one hand he leant on a rough stick, while with the other he held out his battered hat for alms. "'What an amazing model,' whispered Huey, as he shook hands with his friends. "'An amazing model?' shouted Trevor at the top of his voice. "'I should think so. Such beggars as he are not to be met with every day.' A trouvaille, mon cher, a living Velasquez, my stars, what an etching Rembrandt would have made of him. Poor old chap, said Huey. How miserable he looks. But I suppose to you painters his face is his fortune. Certainly, replied Trevor. You don't want a beggar to look happy, do you? How much does a model get for sitting? asked Huey, as he found himself a comfortable seat on a divan. A shilling an hour. And how much do you get for your picture, Alan? For this I get two thousand. Pounds? Guineas? Painters, poets, and physicians always get guineas. Well, I think the model should have a percentage, cried Huey, laughing. I think they work quite as hard as you do. Nonsense! Nonsense! Look at the trouble of laying on the paint alone and standing all day long at one's easel. It's all very well, Huey, for you to talk, but I assure you that there are moments when art almost attains to the dignity of manual labor. But you mustn't chatter. I'm very busy. Smoke a cigarette and keep quiet. After some time, the servant came in and told Trevor that the frame maker wanted to speak to him. Don't run away, Huey, he said as he went out. I will be back in a moment. The old beggar man took advantage of Trevor's absence to rest for a moment on a wooden bench that was behind him. He looked so forlorn and wretched that Huey could not help pitying him and felt in his pockets to see what money he had. All he could find was a sovereign and some coppers. Poor old fellow, he thought to himself. He wants it more than I do, but... It means no handsomes for a fortnight. And he walked across the studio and slipped the sovereign into the beggar's hand. The old man started, and with a faint smile, slid it across his withered lips. Thank you, sir, he said. Thank you. Then Trevor arrived and Huey took his leave, blushing a little at what he had done. He spent the day with Laura, got a charming scolding for his extravagance, and had to walk home. That night he strolled into the pallet club about eleven o'clock and found Trevor sitting by himself in the smoking room drinking hock and seltzer. Well, Alan, did you get the picture finished all right? He said as he lit a cigarette. Finished and framed, my boy, answered Trevor. And by the by, you've made a conquest. That old model you saw is quite devoted to you. 
I had to tell him all about you. Who you are, where you live, what your income is, what prospects you have. My dear Alan, cried Huey, I, I shall probably find him waiting for me when I go home. But of course you are only joking. Poor old wretch. I wish I could do something for him. I think it is dreadful that anyone should be so miserable. I've got heaps of old clothes at home. Do you think he would care for any of them? His rags were falling to bits. But he looked splendid in them, said I wouldn't paint him in a frock coat for anything. What you call rags, I call romance. What seems poverty to you is picturesqueness to me. However, I'll tell him of your offer. Alan, seriously, you, you painters are a heartless lot. An artist's heart is his head, replied Trevor. And besides, our business is to realize the world as we see it, not to reform it as we know it. A chacon sommeil. And now, tell me how Laura is. The old model was quite interested in her. You don't mean to say you talked to him about her, said Huey. Certainly I did. He knows all about the relentless colonel, the lovely Laura, and the ten thousand. You told that old beggar of my private affairs, cried Huey, looking very red and angry. My dear boy, said Trevor, smiling. That old beggar, as you call him, is one of the richest men in Europe. He could buy all of London tomorrow without overdrawing his account. He has a house in every capital, dines off gold plate, and can prevent Russia going to war when he chooses. What on earth do you mean? exclaimed Huey. What I say, said Trevor, the old man you saw today in the studio was Baron Hausberg. He is a great friend of mine, buys all my pictures and that sort of thing, and gave me a commission a month ago to paint him as a beggar. Que voyez-vous? La fantasie d'un millionaire. And I must say, he made a magnificent figure in his rags. Or perhaps I should say in my rags. They are an old suit I got in Spain. Baron Hausberg? cried Huey. Good heavens, I gave him a sovereign. And he sank into an armchair, the picture of dismay. Gave him a sovereign? shouted Trevor, and he burst into a roar of laughter. My dear boy, you'll never see it again. Son of a l'argent d'autre. I think you might have told me, Alan, said Huey sulkily, and not have let me make such a fool of myself. Well, to begin with, Huey, said Trevor, it never entered my mind that you went about distributing alms in that reckless way. I can understand you're kissing a pretty model, but you're giving a sovereign to an ugly one. By Jove, no! Besides, the fact is that I really was not at home today to anyone, and when you came in, I didn't know whether Hausberg would like his name mentioned. You know he wasn't in full dress. Oh, what a duffer he must think me, said Huey. At all. He was in the highest spirits after you left, kept chuckling to himself and rubbing his old wrinkled hands together. I couldn't make out why he was so interested to know all about you, but I see it all now. He'll invest your sovereign for you, Huey, pay you the interest every six months, and have a capital story to tell after dinner. I am an unlucky devil, growled Huey. The best thing I can do is go to bed. And my dear Alan, you mustn't tell anyone. 
I shouldn't dare show my face in the row. Nonsense. It reflects the highest credit on your philanthropic spirit, Huey. And don't run away. Have another cigarette. And you can talk about Laura as much as you like. However, Huey wouldn't stop but walked home, feeling very unhappy and leaving Al and Trevor in fits of laughter. The next morning, as he was at breakfast, the servant brought him up a card on which was written, Monsieur Gustave Nardin, de la part de M. Le Baron Hofburg. I suppose he's come for an apology, said Huey to himself, and he told the servant to show the visitor up. An old gentleman with gold spectacles and gray hair came into the room and said, in a slight French accent, Have I the honor of addressing uh, Monsieur Erskine? Huey bowed. I have come from Baron Hausberg, said. The Baron, I beg, sir, that you will offer him my sincerest apologies, stammered Huey. The Baron, said the old gentleman with a smile, has commissioned me to bring you this letter, and he extended a sealed envelope. On the outside was written, A wedding present to Hugh Erskine and Laura Menton from an old beggar. And inside was a check for 10000 When they were married, Alan Trevor was the best man, and the Baron made a speech at the wedding breakfast. Millionaire models, remarked Alan, are rare enough, but, by Jove, auto millionaires are rarer still. You know, we can learn something from that real quick. There's a great book called The Millionaire Next Door, and they always uh, say that, uh, you know, maybe you don't always have to have the shiniest thing to show people your ways of living. Oh, buying things are fun, yes. But it might be the best in the game for you and me. What is the best game for you and me is making sure that you know it. Making sure that everyone you knows knows to go to sleep with the sound of Bedtime Stories with BVJ. New episodes are released Monday to Friday at 10 p.m. Eastern. The only time zone that matters. Our next story, The Bogey Beast. There was once a woman who was very, very cheerful. Though she had little to make her so, for she was old and poor and lonely. She lived in a little bit of a cottage and earned discant living by running errands for her neighbors, getting a bite here and a sup there as reward for her services. So she made shift to get on, and always looked as spry and cheery as if she had not a want in the world. Now one summer evening, as she was trotting, with smiles as ever, along the high road to her hovel, what should she see but a big black pot lying in the ditch? Goodness me, she cried. That would be just the very thing for me if I only had something to put in it. But I haven't. Now, who could have left it in the ditch? And she looked about her, expecting the owner would not be far off, but she could see nobody. 
Maybe there's a hole in it, he went on, and that's why it has been cast away. But it would do fine to put a flower in my window, so I'll just take it home with me. And with that, she lifted the lid and looked inside. Mercy me, she cried, very amazed. If it ain't full of gold pieces, here's luck. And so it was, brimful of great gold coins. Well, at first, first, she simply stood stock still, wondering if she was standing on her head or her heels. Then she began saying, "'Locks, but I do feel rich! I feel awful rich!' After she had said this many times, she began to wonder how she was to get her treasure home. It was too heavy for her to carry, and she could see no better way than to tie the end of her shawl to it and drag it behind her like a go-kart. It will soon be dark, to herself as she trotted along. So much the better. The neighbors will not see what I'm bringing home, and I shall have all the night to myself and be able to think what I'll do. Mayhap I'll buy a grand house and just sit by the fire with a cup of tea and do no work at all like a queen. Or maybe I'll bury it at the garden foot and, and just keep a bit in the old china teapot on the chimney piece. Or maybe... Goody, goody, I feel that grand I don't know myself. By this time she was a bit tired of dragging such a heavy weight, and stopping to rest a while, turned to look at her treasure. And lo, it wasn't a pot of gold at all. It was nothing but a lump of silver. She stared at it and rubbed her eyes and stared at it again. Well, I never, she said at last. Me thinking it was a pot of gold. I must have been dreaming. But this is luck. Silver is far less trouble, easier to mind, and not so easy stolen. Them gold pieces would have been the death of me, and with this great lump of silver. She went off again planning what she would do and feeling as rich as rich, until becoming a bit tired again. She stopped to rest and gave a look round to see if her treasure was safe. She saw nothing but a great lump of iron. Well, I never, says she again. And I'm mistaking it for silver. I must have been dreaming. But this is luck. It's real convenient. I can get penny pieces for old iron, and penny pieces are a deal handier for me than gold and silver. Why, I should never slept a wink for fear of being robbed. But a penny piece comes in useful... And I shall sell that iron for a lot and be real rich, rolling rich. So she trotted on, full of plans, as to how she would spend her penny pieces, till once more she stopped to rest and looked round to see her treasure was safe. And this time she saw nothing but a big stone. Well, I never, she cried full of smiles. And you think I mistook it for iron? I must have been dreaming, but here's luck indeed. And me wanting a stone terrible bad to stick open the gate. Am I, but it's a change to the better. It's a fine thing to have good luck. So all in a hurry to see how the stone would keep the gate open, she trotted off down the hill till she came to her own cottage. She unlatched the gate and then tried to unfasten her shawl from the stone which lay on the path behind her. My, it was a stone, sure enough. There was plenty light to see it lying there. Loose and peaceable as a stone should. 
So she bent over it to unfasten the shawl end when, oh my, all of a sudden it gave a jump, a squeal, and in one moment was as big as a haystack. Then it let down four great lanky legs and threw out two long ears, nourished a great long tail and romped off, kicking and squealing and whinnying and laughing like a naughty, mischievous boy. The old woman stared after it till it was fairly out of sight. Then she burst out laughing too. Well, she chuckled, I am in luck. Quite the luckiest body hereabouts. Fancy my seeing the bogey beast all to myself and making myself so free with it too. My goodness, I do feel that upted, that grand. So she went into her cottage and spent the evening chuckling over her good luck. Now, were this any other person, they probably would have said, Oh, my goodness, got all these plans for this gold. And then when they turned back and looked at it and saw that it wasn't gold, their day would have been ruined. Not for this young woman. She always found the bright side of whatever life has thrown at her at that moment. I can safely say 2020 has been rough on all of us, but maybe we can all find a little bit of positivity in this crazy world. And it's something to think about as we drift off to sleep tonight. Do you have a story for me to read? Email me, bigvoicej at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>